Hey, let me just give, before we get started, a shout out to Garland Moore for providing the platform out of Pocosin. Thank you, Garland, giving us a stage. Hey, Matthew 27, if you've got your Bible in your car or on your phone or a device, you can swipe there. Matthew 27, 15 to 16 reads this way. Now, it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner to the crowd, anyone they wanted. This year, there was a notorious prisoner, a man named Barabbas. Now, in case there's any confusion about what kind of man this was, Peter, in his second sermon in the birth of the church, recorded for us by Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, we read about it in Acts 3.14, where Peter, speaking to the crowd, had said, you rejected this holy righteous one, referring to Jesus, and instead, you demanded the release of a murderer. Now, it's not too often that Barabbas finds himself to be the center of the Easter message because he's the villain, because he's the bad guy who got away. But I believe that for us here, Easter 2020, that Barabbas is the perfect person for us for Easter because Barabbas we find ourselves. Now, if you've got some kids in your car with you, or maybe your kids are grown and gone and you're an empty nester, but I would assume that you put some work into picking their name. At least I would hope that you put some work into picking their name. Now, if you were a Christian in the 80s and the 90s, if you didn't give your child a name that came from the Bible, you might not be going to heaven. So why there's a handful of Jedediahs walking around. There's also the family name approach. The family name approach is when Vanessa and I got pregnant with Derek because I come from a family that does the family name approach. My full name is Joseph Frederick. Joseph is my father's father, father's brother, and Frederick is my mother's father, mother's brother. So two grandfathers, two uncles. So because I'm the head of the house, I inform Vanessa. Right, you already know that's just funny right there, right? Because I'm the head of the house, I inform Vanessa that that's what we're going to be doing and I learned early on in our marriage is the vast difference between the head of your home and the boss of your home. And so she reminded me that that's not how it was going to go, so we compromised, and so all of our kids have family name and the name we like, which is another option. You pick a name that you just like. Then there's the pick a name that has meaning. For some of you, it's not about the actual name, but you looked up the meaning of that name, and, and you picked that name because you wanted to speak that meaning over the life of your child. But as we look into the Bible, what we find is that a, the Hebrew tradition has ve three very distinct motivations for picking a name. And one of them, it's descriptive. So Esau literally means hairy. So when Esau was born, his parents looked at him and gave him a name that described his physical appearance. You also find that a Hebrew tradition is to pick a name that speaks to an event that coincides with the birth. Like Shaharem means born at the dawn. And then you have the name that is chosen because it speaks a prayer over your child's life. There is the name that is chosen because it is an aspiration. The name is chosen because it's a prophetic moment where a, a parent declares something over the life of a child. So Zechariah means God has remembered me, which we know is not a coincidence that John the Baptist's father was Zechariah, and he and his wife Elizabeth could not have children until later in life. And the role that they played in the coming of the Messiah, that their son was the forerunner, his name turned out to be a prophecy. So why all of this talk about names for our Easter message? It's because the name Barabbas 
The literal name Barabbas gives us our first insight into our Easter message today. You see, in Matthew 16, where Jesus changes the name of Simon. Now, we know this is a pattern with God. If there's a a significant moment in a person's life in the Bible, it's like Abram becomes Abraham, Jacob becomes Israel. And here in Matthew 16, Jesus changes Simon's name from Simon to Peter. But when he addresses him, he doesn't just call him Simon. He calls him Simon Barjona. And the reason why he called him Simon Barjona is because they didn't really do last names in Jesus' day. They did second names. And second names spoke to your family. So Simon Bar-Jonah literally means Simon, son of Jonah. And you see that pattern all throughout Scripture. Bar is Aramaic for son, and Abba is Aramaic for father. So at some point, at some point, there was a young boy who was born into this world. And his name became Barabbas, son of father. Now you cannot find a more generic name than that. In fact, somebody didn't even take the time to give him a given name. They just used the practice of the second name and gave that to him. No one loved this child enough to even just describe him at his birth. No one loved this child enough to to speak a prophecy or a prayer over his life. No one loved this child enough to even just pay attention to what was happening in the world around his birth and give him that name. No, they just, they gave him the most generic, just they looked at him and said, this is his child of father. But we know that in the story of Scripture, in the meta-narrative that we find of God revealing himself to the world, that there are no coincidences and there are no accidents, that providence is always at work to bring about a prophetic insight. Because what we understand that Barabbas stands for you and for me throughout all of time to be a picture of you and me. Because Barabbas, the very name of Barabbas itself, reveals to you and to me what our ultimate need is. Because the day that Barabbas was set free, it was a picture of the son of the father dying for every child of every father, and that's you and me. 2 Corinthians 5.21 reads this way, For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. We have an ultimate need that we find in the name of Barabbas, and that ultimate need is that we need a Savior. We find in Barabbas that his rescue reveals to us our ultimate value. If his name speaks to me about my ultimate need, then it is his rescue that speaks to me about my ultimate value. Now, I don't know about you, but I got one of these nice little postcards that come in the mail about once a year from the city of Newport News or wherever you live. You're going to probably get one of these too. It's the tax assessment for your home. There's a value that's on this piece of paper. There's the land value, and then there's the home value, and they put that together, and then that's what you're taxed by. It's, it's assigning a value to your home. Now, you understand this idea of assigning a value. At some point, you purchased that vehicle that you're sitting in today. And at some point, you probably did some research. You, wanted to, you didn't want to overpay. So you wanted to find out what are other people paying for this same item, and it's what other people paid. It's the price that they paid determined the value that you were willing to give up. Whether it's a car or a motorcycle, praise the Lord, or boats, even a bigger amen, there's a value that is assigned to them that is determined by the price that other people are willing to pay. Facebook Marketplace, 
If you've ever bought anything, you're, before you make that offer, you're probably scrolling to see what other people are listing. And you're making your offer based on the price that other people are paying. Can I just tell you today that when Jesus died on the cross for you and for me, do we believe that he was dying for the sins of the world? Yes, we do. Do we believe that that's about the son of the father dying for every child of every father? Yes, we do. But you know what else was happening when Jesus died on the cross? He was setting the value of people because it is the price that God was willing to pay to redeem us. And one of the great gifts, I'm telling you, that this pandemic is going to bring to so many people is that it's helping people to understand the difference between where they find their value and where they find meaning. It was the incarceration of the incarnation that was the coronation of our salvation. Barabbas was the very first person redeemed by Christ. Barabbas was the very first person that was set free through the willful act of Jesus going to the cross. Now there are a lot of things that give us meaning in this life that we celebrate here at this church Our work should give us meaning. Our hobbies and interests and passions and pursuits, they should give us a sense of meaning. Relationships, right? One of the reasons why the quarantine, one of the reasons why being here today is both exciting and also difficult because we can't embrace the people whose relationship adds meaning to our lives. Church itself adds meaning to our lives. But can I just encourage you and for some of you challenge you and maybe some of you convict you, you must not look to those things to give you value. Because value comes from one source and one source alone, and it comes from the statement that Jesus made when he gave his life for you and for me. For some of you, you have an identity crisis because you confuse value with meaning, and I'm telling you the gift of this circumstance is going to help you separate those two. 1 Peter 1, 18-19 reads this way, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you. You know what a ransom is? It says, God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which loses its value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. His rescue reveals to me my ultimate need. His name reveals to me my ultimate need for a Savior. And his city, listen to this, his city reveals to me my ultimate purpose. His city reveals to me my ultimate purpose. Jerusalem at the time of Jesus' death was in utter chaos. The disciples had gone from being celebrities to being hunted. They had gone from being the heads of parades to now cowering in safe houses. The crowds that once praised Jesus were now cheering for his death. From Thursday night until Sunday morning, they hid in terror. Now, can you imagine? These disciples, as they went from town to town, crowds thronged to meet them. Amazing stories of people being healed as they even just touched the hem of the garment of Christ. Jesus was a megastar in the world before the even idea of a megastar came into existence. People would travel without any thought 
of providing for their own needs, the story of the feeding of the 5,000 and the story again of feeding of the 4,000, that's just counting men alone. You understand, right? People took their families out into the wilderness to find Christ with, with taking no provision for them because they just wanted to get a glimpse of this man and those that followed him. We forget that the disciples themselves were prayed over by Jesus and he gave them authority to deliver people, to heal people. The disciples themselves were superstars all throughout Israel. But now they cower in fear. Whenever there is a shift in my context, listen, hear me. Whenever there is a shift in my context, God is preparing me for a change in my character. Whenever there is a shift in my context, God is preparing me for change in my character. The greater the shift, the greater the possibility of change. Now, I'm Pentecostal and charismatic through and through. It's my theological persuasion. We teach from that. We talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit here as a church. We teach on it multiple times throughout the year, and that has not changed for me. I believe with all of my heart that the reason why Jesus postponed the Great Commission was because of what he said in Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, that they had been commissioned, their purpose had been revealed to go and take the gospel to the whole world by building his church, this thing that he was calling the church, this thing that he created, but they could not do it until the Holy Spirit came and empowered them to accomplish it. But it's through reflecting on this global pandemic and reading these texts through that filter that I began to come to this realization that something had to happen to the disciples to make room for the deposit of God that he intended to send. You ever thought about how their suffering, how their time spent languishing, their time spent wrestling, made room in their hearts for the measure of the Holy Spirit that God wanted to pour out. Have you ever stopped to consider that it was through their circumstance that God was making room in them for something else, for something new, for something fresh to come? Many of you have done something similar in your home in a practical way. How about when you had your first child? How about Keaton and Christiana making an announcement on Facebook about having a baby today? Come on. You remember the walk through your house? If you had a house the size of our house, where every room was already used, and you're thinking, What's, where's the nursery going to be? You had to move stuff out for the baby that was going to move in. For some of you, you would say, I had to do that when my children came back home. Amen. Praise the Lord. God will give you a grace for that. You had to move some stuff out because they're coming back again. When you acquire something, you have to make space for it. Maybe with new interests or maybe a new job with a higher degree of responsibility, you understand this principle in life that space is limited. Can I just say to you, it's, the tr it's true also for the part inside of us that we cannot see. Space is limited. And I believe with all of my heart that God knew that those disciples, they had to change. There was too much Barabbas that was in them that was taking up space for the deposit of God that he wanted to put inside of them to empower them for the purpose and the destiny that he had called them to. 
I believe that for many of us, that's what's happening in our journey right now. I believe that for many of us, that there is a redemptive moment that can come from this global pandemic. I'm not saying that God caused it. I don't believe that he did. I don't think that he initiated. I don't believe that he did, but I do believe that he will redeem it. And I believe that one of the ways that he redeems it is that he uses a change in our context to bring about change in our character. I think if we're honest about ourselves, we can all find some Barabbas in our lives. I think if we're honest with ourselves, there's in all of us, there is something that is a part of who we are, character flaws that is there, unforgiveness that we carry, shame that, that we cling to instead of embracing the healing that God wants to give. Therefore, all of us, there is Barabbas who is taking up space in our hearts, and God wants to fill that space with a greater measure of who he is. Can I just tell you today that if you are here, if you are on this planet, if you are living and breathing, you have a God-given purpose and a destiny that he created just for you. That there's a purpose that you were put into this world. There is something that he wants us to do for him. There's seasons of purpose. Sometimes we accomplish one and then he gives us a new one. Sometimes we understand the next one by being faithful in the one that we're in. For all of us, there is a purpose that we're called to. And I believe that by understanding the city of Barabbas in the time of the death of Christ, we understand, we get a picture of this belief that you and I have a purpose, just like the disciples did 2,000 years ago. But just like those disciples, you and I, we will not fulfill our purpose without power. We will not fulfill that purpose without power from on high. Human effort cannot accomplish a God-sized vision. It takes human effort. we gotta, we got to do the work. You can't read the book of Acts and come to the conclusion that the disciples, they just went into early retirement and let God take over. No, they laid their lives down for the purpose they were called. There was effort. But God fanned the flames of that effort with supernatural power from on high. You might be here today and you might say, Fred, I don't have any clue what my purpose is. It might be that you've been having a conversation with God. Just to, This could be a prophetic moment for you. That you've been asking the question, just, God, I want to know my purpose. And what I would say to you, this is, if you lack clarity in your purpose, if you lack clarity, what I would say to you is stop asking God what your purpose is and do the heavy lifting of availing yourself to the deposit of the power of God that he wants to put in you because it is the power that will propel you to that purpose. Begin to do the heavy lifting of asking God. Instead of saying, God, what is my purpose? Shift your question. Say, God, show me. The Barabbas that is inside that I need to give to you. Make room in your life for the power of God and find your purpose. It is his name, it is his rescue, and it is his city that we understand our ultimate need, our ultimate value, and our ultimate purpose. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will restore their land. This is an important verse for us, for especially in times of crisis like we're in today, that the world is in today. And if you've been around church for any amount of time, you know that this verse is often read in moments like this. But a distinction that is often left out 
that it does not say if all people. It does not say if all the people of the world. It's very clear. It says if my people. God's saying if, if my people. Which means that we don't need the rest of the world to do these things for this promise to be fulfilled. This statement is to God's people. That Really what he's saying, he's saying if God's people would just get their act together. If God's people who are called by his name would humble themselves and pray. If they would seek my face. God doesn't need the world to seek his face, right? He just needs us to do it. And to what? To turn from their wicked ways, to get the Barabbas out of us. What does he say? I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will restore their land. And you know who benefits from that? The whole world. Because that's the principle of redemption. When the people of God are willing to walk in the holiness of God, there is great blessing that can come upon the whole earth. And let it be that we walk away from this Easter saying, God, let it start with me. So, Father, we pray over the City Life Church today. We pray over Suffolk and Newport News and all of us that are here in this parking lot and those that are watching streaming live even now. God, even people are going to be watching this later as a replay. Let it be that this moment would stand as a call. Let let it be a clarion call that would go out to all people that we ourselves would be willing to enter into a journey and a conversation with you where you would begin to show us the Barnabas that is inside of us. That yes, we would celebrate that you have rescued us. That yes, that we would celebrate this revelation of your value that you spoke over us through the price that was paid through Christ. But oh God, that we would not that we would not take for granted that you have work that you are calling us to do and that we would not shrink back from the journey of transformation that must take place in all of us to make room for the power of God that we believe that you want to pour out into us just like you did 2,000 years ago so that we can continue today to build your church for the gospel to go forth in Jesus' name. Come on, and everybody said together, amen. Happy Easter!